0: Morning to our adult Sunday school, and we trust the Lord will bless as we gather together. It's cold outside, uh, but I was thinking this morning uh, coming out, I think it said it was minus one, and I was thinking, well, it's nice and warm, uh, because in Calgary, a warm day was minus one uh, when it started to get cold in the winter. And so it's warm, uh, but uh, yet I think for some of us it is cold as well. Uh, So, but it's good to be here, it's good to have you here, and we're going to uh, commence in prayer, and we'll seek the Lord, and then we'll turn uh, to his word uh, for a reading. We'll pray. Our Father and our God, we rejoice in thy goodness toward us. We thank thee for this new day, this new Sabbath day of rest, in which we can come and meet with thee and worship thee. And consider thy truth. And Father, as we come together now to uh, consider uh, this subject, to commence a look at the history of the Christian Church, we pray that Thou would be with us, and Thou would teach us and instruct us. We realise, O oh God, that there is much to learn uh, from history. Uh, there are great examples for us to follow. Uh, but Father, we realise there are many mistakes and errors and heresies that stand out in history as a warning to us uh, to stand firm upon the faith, uh, to stand firm upon thy word, uh, to continually uh, look unto thee. And, Father, we pray today that thou would bless us. We think of the children in the Sunday school downstairs. Bless them, we pray, as thy word is faithfully taught afresh. And may this day in thy house be a day of blessing to us, and a day when Christ is glorified. Father, bless us, do our souls good, and we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're turning in the Word of God this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And, of course, this chapter is known as the Saints Hall of Faith. Chapter that mentions many of the Old Testament saints, how they acted in faith, saving faith, believing faith, and how they lived and served the Lord and accomplished great things for Him. Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll we'll break into the passage at verse 32. The writer has went through a list of these individual names. And now he comes really to a summary of others, moving down verse 33, etc. And he summarizes what these individuals did through faith. And this is history. This is not the writer to the Hebrews making great stories and myths and legends up. This is him recounting what God accomplished through real people in the Old Testament period. And of course, we'll commence verse 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, Quenched the violence afar, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen, and may the Lord bless the reading of his precious word this morning. The importance of history in this world can often be overlooked, but the reality is that the events of the past have a crucial role in shaping our present, and our future. And this subject of history is also vitally important to the Church of Christ. We can trace our history back to the early churches, our doctrine, our beliefs, our practices, all flow back to the New Testament church as seen in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Why do we praise God as we come together on a Sunday? Why do we pray? Why do we have preaching as that A central part of our service. Well, it's traced back through history to the New Testament, to the practice of the church, and of course the teaching of Scripture regarding that practice. And as we journey through the history of the Christian church, there are several types of study that we will be performing. Firstly, we will be dealing with history. We're considering church history And when I think of this subject, this series, I typed in number one, Introduction to Church History in the notes, and I thought for a moment, I wonder how far we'll get and what number we'll come to, Uh, because, well, when we look at the great depths of history within the Church of Christ, that number could easily go into triple figures in regard to the studies that we are going to do. But when we consider history, we will be looking at events and biographical information of certain historical persons, what happened, where it happened, when it happened. Your typical look at history, if you were to go into school and sit, you'd be learning what happened, where it happened, maybe why it happened, and when it happened. And of course, there's those dates uh, that is a uh, pupil in school you had to remember. And those events are important because they shape our present and they shape our future. Today is known in the church as Reformation Sunday, that Lord's Day that is closest to the 31st of October when the church, the Protestant church remembers Martin Luther standing there in Wittenberg going to the castle church in that city and nailing his 95 theses to the church door taking a stand against Roman Catholicism. And sparking the Protestant Reformation. It's an important event. It affects us because we can trace our history back as a church, as a Reformed church. We are not Lutheran, we are Presbyterian. That comes from the influence of John Calvin and John Knox. But we can trace back the Protestant Reformation and our history to Martin Luther. And what does that mean? Well, it means the Reformation is an important event for us. Something we should remember something we should study, something that we should never forget and pass on to the next generation. It was not an easy thing as well because when you think of the stand that Martin Luther took, there were men who wanted him dead. He was put on trial. Other reformers, William Tyndale, for example, he lost his life because he desired the men of England, the population, the people of England, his countrymen, to have the word of God, not in Latin that they couldn't read, but in the English language, in their common tongue. And he was killed, he was murdered for that desire. And so when we think of the Reformation, it wasn't just, well, we believe this now, we're going to preach this, we're going to form churches to, that hold to this doctrine, and everything was peaceful. There was trials and hardships and difficulties and persecutions because of this truth. And we need to remember that as the Church of Christ. We have a history, a history that God has blessed, a history where men took a stand, a history where men shed their blood, that we could meet here today and study His Word and worship Him. So we will be looking at history, but we'll also be looking at theology what is theology? It comes from two Greek words, theos, which means God, and logos, which means word. So theology is really a word about God. It is not a deep consideration of biblical things that is far above the individual Christian. There may be things that are deep and hard for us to understand, but theology at its basic level is a word about God. When we come into the Word of God today and we preach from the Word of God, we're dealing with theology. We're dealing with words about God. And as we study the history of the Christian church, we will come to theology. We'll come to theological debates. We'll come to disagreements about doctrines. We'll come to the setting forth of particular doctrines. And so instead of just sticking to history, when those doctrines arise, like justification by faith alone we'll come and we'll consider those doctrines and how important they are. And so we will study doctrines pertaining to particular events. And then there's historical theology, the blending of these two aspects together. And what is historical theology? It is simply the study of the development and, in the notes that should be understanding, of doctrine over time. In other words, How did the Church of Jesus Christ come to the understanding that we have of justification by faith alone? To take that Reformation era doctrine that was so important to Martin Luther and to the Church today. How did that doctrine develop? What did the early Church believe? What did the Church Fathers believe? What was taught about this doctrine in the Middle Ages? How did the Roman Catholic Church twist and corrupt and change this doctrine? And how did Martin Luther then come upon the scene and see the light of this truth? And how was that truth preached and presented by the reformers? And how has that developed in our understanding to the present day? And that would be historical theology, looking at the history of particular doctrines. And so there are three types of study that we will be performing as time goes by. But then I want you to notice the study of church history. Considering our past is important. What does the apostle do here in Hebrews chapter 11? He's considering the past. He's bringing the past to these believers, Hebrew believers who knew their past and knew their history and came from that line of those Jews who are mentioned in this chapter And he is instructing them regarding their heroes, the heroes of the faith, those men that they held up in the Jewish faith. And he's saying that these individuals were saved. They believed in God. They had faith. And they acted upon that faith. And that faith that they had is the same faith we can have today. And he's giving them a history lesson. And, of course, history is important. And there are a number of aspects of this. The study of church history firstly informs us of biblical truths, our past, and godly men of faith. Studying church history makes us inform believers about our past. The church of Christ did not commence on the day you were saved, or the day you joined the church, or the day this church came into being. The history of the church goes back Far beyond when our denomination was formed. Far beyond when Presbyterianism uh, was formed. Far beyond the Protestant Reformation. The church goes back in its New Testament form to the book of Acts. We believe as Reformed Christians the church existed far beyond that in the Old Testament. And so you have Old Testament believers as we see in Hebrews 11 who were saved. Who had faith in God and they were part of the church church in the Old Testament, or as Stephen uh, refers to in the book of Acts, the church in the wilderness, the uh, people of God, the Israelites being in the wilderness, the church in the wilderness. And so church history brings us to that point where we understand where we came from and how we got here. And it reminds us of these godly men of faith. There's an informing. And we need to be informed believers. When it comes to the word of God, we need to be taught. We need to be informed. And church history is an important part of that as well. Studying church history reminds us of former errors and heresies. Some of these may not be former. and We are looking at the past, the former errors. But some of these errors can exist today. We can look at some of the errors in the early church and in the church fathers, Arianism, for example, and we can look at some of the cults today and see that those same errors are found within the cults or found within a specific groups of those who claim to be part of the Church of Christ. And so looking at church history reminds us of these former errors and heresies. And you might think, well, why do we need to be taught this? Why should we spend time looking at what an error is or a heresy or how men twisted and changed the word of God? Well, it's important for us to consider this because not only did it happen, but we see how men dealt with it when it did happen. And we also need to be aware it can happen again, and it does happen. And in our generation, there is error and there is heresy abounding all around us. And we need to be aware then that Within the church, there are errors, there are heresies. How did the church deal with these things in the past? How should the church deal with such things today? It teaches us as well that God uses men despite their fallibility and weaknesses. We look at the past, we look at heroes, we see that in Hebrews chapter 11 here, great heroes of faith, men of God, men who took a stand and Considering church history, it thrills our hearts because we look at men uh, like Martin Luther. Uh, I remember uh, watching a film about Martin Luther in our youth oh, many, many, many years ago. And it was around the Reformation time. They brought a film in and Martin Luther uh, was played by an actor and he was standing there. And he was at the Diet of Vernes and he was given his speech. Here I stand, I can do no other. And I was so into seeing this stand and him taking this stand and these famous words uh, that I started whispering uh, what came next. And those in front of me turned around and told me to be quiet. Uh, But when we think of those words, it's something that's thrilling. The great stand he took, he didn't care if those authorities would take him and burn him or chop his head off. He stood for Christ And he stood for what he believed and he stood for the truth and it's a thrilling account and as he stood there and we think of that stand is he not a hero of the faith and we can have our hearts thrilled and encouraged by the stand that he took and others as well we can look at hebrews chapter 11 and we find abraham and we find noah and we find joseph and samson and others david Great men of God who stood for him. Then we notice something. These men were fallible. These men were sinners. These men made mistakes. These men were not perfect. Martin Luther, though we look at him as a man of faith and someone who stood for the Lord, he was not a perfect man. He had his weaknesses. He had his errors because as part of the Reformed church, as Presbyterians, we would disagree with some of Luther's theology. We would have disagreements with the Lutheran theology that comes out of Luther's branch of the Reformation. So while we look back at Luther and the stand he took, we see weaknesses, we see fallibility, we see errors, and that is true of us all. We are weak, we are fallible ourselves. And history reminds us that despite our weaknesses and the weaknesses of men, Despite our failings, God used these men. May God be pleased to use us despite our fallibility and despite our weaknesses. We had to be perfect and infallible and strong and for God to use us. God would never use us. He uses us despite our weaknesses and despite our fallibilities. And we see that in church history. It's not an excuse for us to not worry about Weaknesses and not worry about sin because we should strive to deal with those things but it encourages us that God used men despite that. It encourages us as well to follow in their footsteps to walk in the old paths. The old paths and how wonderful it is to consider that. Walking in the old ways. Men have the new ideas. Men have their agendas today. We see the church bowing To all the agendas of men. But we are to walk in the old ways. The old paths that God has set forth in his word. And those old saints. Despite not being perfect. Desire to walk in the old ways. Let us walk in their footsteps. Studying church history encourages us as well. Or causes us to rejoice with thankful hearts. For the Lord's preservation of his word. And his church. When we consider church history. God has preserved his word. The scriptures of truth, we have them written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of God, going back to Moses as well in the Old Testament. And what did God do? He preserved that word so that we have it today in our own language to read, to study, to believe, to teach. We can rejoice in that. We can rejoice how God has preserved his church, how though in the dark ages and through the blindness, Of the Roman Catholic Church, how God preserved his truth. And at the Reformation, there was this spark of light that spread. We can rejoice in God's goodness for his church. And then it enables us to glorify God for all his wondrous works. What should we do for all things? We should glorify God. Everything that we do, we should glorify God. When we consider church history, we see reasons to glorify God. How God moved in revival power. How God protected his church. How God used men despite themselves. How God has brought us to where we are today because of what he has done in the past. We can glorify him for his wondrous works. And in Hebrews chapter 11 we see that. The wondrous works of God. And we can glorify our glorious God for all of these things. So when we think of church history, there is a timeline. I've given a brief timeline in the notes. We have the early church and church fathers, AD 100 to 800. We have the middle ages, AD 800 to 1300. We have the pre-reformation to the post-reformation, and that's a period of around about 400 years, AD 1300 to 1700. We've pre-reformers like George Whitfield, who came before Martin or George Wycliffe who came before John Wycliffe who came before Martin Luther and then we have Martin Luther himself around 1517 John Calvin was born 1509 and so he comes into the picture there and then after uh, the Reformation period there and uh, moving in uh, to the 1600s we have the Puritan period and uh, then Uh, The 1700s and that pre-Reformation, post-Reformation time. Then we have the modern period. You may say modern period. That should be like 1950 to current. Uh, But uh, we would consider that in church history being from about the 1700s up to the current day. So we have important periods and events as well. The destruction of Jerusalem that Christ spoke about, AD 70. John writes the book of Revelation around AD 95 to 96. Uh, The various persecutions that came upon the church through the Roman Empire, Nero and other emperors around AD 54 through to 270. Uh, Give or take, there's a lot of fluctuation there between particular persecutions and when they happened and the years involved. Then we have the Council of Nicaea, AD 325, where the Nicene Creed Uh, was established, they dealt with the heresy of Arianism, uh, with the Council of Chalcedon, AD 451, a famous council in the uh, Church Fathers period. Uh, Then moving forward, nearly nearly a thousand years, we have John Wycliffe, AD 1328 to 1384, an English reformer. And then Luther nailed his theses in Wittenberg. He sparks the Protestant Reformation, A.D. 1517. John Calvin, 1509 to 1564. Uh, We have the Second Reformation period, the Covenanters in Scotland. Uh, We have the Puritans in England. Uh, We have, again, other men who would be that Second Reformation period in Holland. And they would have been around A.D. 1560 is the earliest date for that, moving forward to around 1740. Some of those Puritans came over to North America, and uh, they brought their faith, uh, they brought the gospel, they brought their beliefs, and they were very influential in the early days in North America, and in the United States especially, and then we have the likes of Jonathan Edwards coming out of that, having a background in that, uh, for example. The Westminster Assembly in London that met together during the English Civil War, 1643 to 1653. uh, They were commissioned by the Westminster Parliament to create documents, confessional documents for the church. And they met together and they wrote the Confession of Faith, the larger catechism, the shorter catechism. Uh, They wrote a directory of public worship also and a few other documents over the course of a 10-year period. And the confession and the two catechisms form part of our subordinate standards, standards that are under the word of God or uh, the word of God is superior to those standards and we hold to them as a church and denomination. George Whitfield, the English evangelist who came to America as well, AD 1740 to 1770. Uh, we have the ministry of Charles Spurgeon, the dates here would be his life, AD 1834 uh, to 1892. And then uh, we come to the formation of the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster in Northern Ireland, AD 1951. And then we come to the first date that we can all remember because some of us uh, were alive at that point, the formation of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, uh, 2005. So I put those two dates in there regarding our own denomination, uh, significant dates regarding us with all those other dates. So those are significant events, they're not all the important events, it's a little sketch of church history and uh, some of the events we will be looking at as well. Hebrews chapter 11 Sets forth to us what is commonly referred to as the Saints Hall of Fame. It's comprised of godly men of faith. Who through the power of God accomplished great things for his cause. We're reminded then in Hebrews chapter 12. We turn to it the verse 1. Wherefore seen we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Those who previously ran this race. Those who finished their race. Those who are mentioned in Hebrews 11 are part of this great cloud of witnesses. And on the basis of that, these witnesses, we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, we're encouraged then to run our own race with patience. And we see that. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And a study of church history furnishes us with the knowledge and understanding of these witnesses. It encourages us to run our race in light of their successful finishing of their course and the keeping of their faith. It encourages us. Let us remember then that we walk where others have walked. We labor where others have labored. We continue what others have started. We believe what others have believed. We preach what others have preached and we stand where others have stood and those things are very important and very vital to us. History can be dismissed. It's in the past. It's not relevant to us today but as part of the church it is relevant for these reasons. We're not stepping out in faith and following something and preaching something that has never been preached before, we're continuing on from where others have left off. We're continuing their ministry and their journey, as it were. And so understanding history is important to that. We stand on the same truths where others have stood. And so coming in to consider The History of the Church of Christ. Mention must be given to the Roman Empire. When we commence our study looking at the history of the early church, we come probably around A.D. 100, whenever Scripture had been finished, whenever Scripture is now silent about what will take place. After that, the Word of God, the canon of Scripture has been closed, and therefore history in the sense it starts but it continues uh, as it is a continuation of what we see in the Word of God. And the Roman Empire is very foundational to that. The Roman Empire was that great empire that stretched across most of Europe in the first century and all the actions of the church, the majority of actions in the church, the ministry of the church, was all under the authority in the sense that the Roman Empire were the governing authority. It's all under the government of the Roman Empire. Not officially. Rome was not in the sense in charge of the church, but it was the same sense that we live in a country that is ruled by Justin Trudeau and his political party. The Church of Christ was living in an empire that was governed by Rome. The narrative record of Scripture ends around AD 62 in the book of Acts. Uh, There there are some letters maybe after that, Uh, but in regard to the historical account we have in Acts, it ends around AD 62. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, was penned, as we've seen, around AD 95 96. And so the church of the first century had grown and expanded greatly due to the blessing of God upon the ministry of the Apostle Paul and others. The gospel had spread across the Roman Empire. We see that in the Book of Acts. Paul went from city to city, he went everywhere preaching the gospel of Christ. And it's interesting to note that a common language, the Greek language, was very instrumental to the spread of the gospel of Christ. The Roman network of roads across an empire that stretched from ancient Britain across to Israel benefited the spread of the gospel. Never before in the history of mankind was there such an ability and an opportunity to reach so many people over such a vast distance with the gospel. We often look at the situation then with the spectacles of the 21st century and wonder how did people in the first century survive with the vast distances? They couldn't jump in their Honda and drive 100 miles to the next city to preach the gospel of Christ. They couldn't use a train. They couldn't go to the airport and jump upon a WestJet to take them to another city. How did they survive? They couldn't go on the internet and download the latest sermon by the Apostle Paul. There was nothing like that. How did the gospel spread? How did those apostles and ministers move across the empire and preach the gospel of Christ? we need to understand that this was an era that benefited the spread of the gospel like no other era before it. The Greek language, the network of roads, it brought the world together in a way never before seen. We can say that about our generation. The world is brought together in a way never before seen. But in the first century, 2,000 years ago, was exactly the same with the technology of their day. And the apostle traveled, there were ships, there were the roads, that road network, and he traveled and preached the gospel of Christ. Gatherings. He stood on Mars Hill, Acts 17, and preached the word of God. He went into the synagogue and preached the word of God. He used the opportunities of his day. And that's the key thought here. He used the opportunities of his day to preach and spread the gospel of Christ and the same is true of us. We are to use the means of our day to spread the gospel of Christ. We use the means of the internet. We as a congregation use the means of the radio. We use the printed page. and We use email. We use the telephone. All these methods to spread the gospel of Christ. And that's exactly what the apostles did in the first century. They used what was available to them. So we have a duty and a responsibility to use the means that we have to spread the gospel. But the Roman Empire, coming back to them, they had control of much of ancient Europe. The seat of the government was in Rome, and the one man, the emperor, ruled the empire. Rome had been founded around 735 BC, during the days in which the prophets Isaiah and Hosea lived, just for, I suppose, a parallel look at that. Uh, Those were the days when those prophets lived, and we have the biblical account of them. In 510 BC, the government of Rome changed into a republic. Power was controlled by the Senate, but various wars and troubles caused problems in the ability of the Senate to rule, and by the first century BC, one man, Julius Caesar, took control of the empire, and this led to a succession of emperors ruling the empire. The empire's religion at the close of the biblical accounts consisted of paganism. The chief god that they worshipped was Zeus, that's in the Greek, in the Latin he was called Jupiter. And it's important to note that the Roman Empire had absorbed much of the older Greek empire, language, culture and religion. There were different gods overseeing different aspects of life. There was Poseidon or Neptune, the sea god, Aphrodite or Venus. The goddess of love, Ares, or as the Romans called him, Mars, the god of war. And So for every aspect of life, there was a deity that they had imagined or someone had made up and they worshipped him. Their religion focused upon the blessing of the gods by bringing sacrifices and prayers. They came to the temples. They came to the shrines. Few were fishermen or a sailor and you desired to have a good catch of fish or you desired safety and travel, you came to the shrine of Poseidon or the temple of Poseidon and you brought your offering and you brought your prayers that Poseidon would bless your endeavours on the sea, that you would be safe and that your endeavours would be blessed with a great bounty also. And so the religion focused upon The worshipping of many false gods. If we turn to Acts chapter 17, uh, we see this. Paul is in Athens, part of the Roman Empire of his day. And he's on Mars Hill, or he comes to Mars Hill. But in verse 16, we read, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city holy given to idolatry. This was a city given to paganism. This was the idolatry that took place in the Roman Empire. This was the religion of the Romans. And Christianity was starting and Christianity was spreading against this religion. And the city was wholly given to it. And we find that Paul stood on Mars Hill. He speaks in verse 23 of the unknown God and he preaches the gospel. He preaches the gospel. Paganism was the official religion of the empire. The emperor was at the center of it. And it's also to note that Hellenistic religion, which came from the Greeks, they viewed kings as incarnate gods. And those ideas then gave rise to the practice of worshiping the emperor within the empire. Some emperors had been raised to the position of gods after they died and people prayed to them. So, so much false religion was taking place This empire needed the gospel of Christ. We see philosophy as well. The Greek culture was deeply philosophical. We have uh, Platonism, named after Plato, who lived, died 347 BC. It was a religious philosophy, believed in God as the supreme being. In summary, several of their views about God were similar to Christianity, but their thinking heavily influenced Christian converts in Arianism and Gnosticism. Gnosticism being this uh, knowledge that was for the elite and salvation being for the elite and Arianism attacked uh, the deity of Christ among other things as well. And so it gave rise to heresies. There were the Epicureans. They were named after Epicurus who died 270 BC. Epicurus had a school in Athens and taught that pleasure was the supremely desirable quality. It was a philosophy that was anti-religious and did not teach an existence after death. So the question comes out of our Shorter Catechism. What is man's chief end? And man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But the Epicureans, man's chief end is to enjoy himself and pleasures for, well, forever or until he dies. And that stood in stark contrast to what the gospel was all about. And Paul here in, in Athens, verse 18 of Acts 17 there, um, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? That's a great word, babbler. Babbler. What will this babbler say? Other some, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because He preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And so Paul engaged with these men, the Epicureans. He preached to them they did not understand the gospel their philosophy was all about themselves and we see that today a philosophy that's just about man just about man's desires and then there was stoicism and uh, there were a number of individuals zeno being one of them who died in 262 bc the name comes from the stoa uh, where he taught in athens he And the Stoics believed everything was made out of matter, that the universe was controlled by a power to which they gave different names, God, fate, providence, reason. And Stoics believed that true fulfillment could only happen, that should be happened, by living in harmony with reason. And that involved the controlling, disciplining and suppressing of the passions and emotions. Again, they had a very strange and twisted, corrupted view of God, Uh, but uh, they believed in controlling themselves, which is actually an aspect of Christianity. Uh, We control ourselves through the Spirit of God helping us, through the Word of God guiding us, Uh, but they had uh, this controlling and disciplining and suppressing of the passions and emotions. And we find there in verse 18, the Stoics mentioned as well, the Apostle Paul dealt with the Stoics. So this was something of the background, religiously, historically, and philosophically of the Roman Empire. And this was the empire, as I said, in which the church was established in the book of Acts, in its New Testament form. This was the empire in which the church was commanded to go into and to preach the gospel to every creature. And so... It was a difficult work. It was a hard work. We see in the scriptures there was much persecution. There was the death of some of the apostles. Uh, the apostle Paul is believed historically to have died in Rome in the Colosseum, given over to the lions as part of the great spectacle of entertainment that they had there when Christians were persecuted and Christians were murdered. And so, as we look at the Roman Empire, it died a death, it ended, but yet the Church of Christ, through the power of God, still exists and will exist, and we see the great glory of God in the blessing of his church, and in his will, we'll see that, Uh, we'll come to consider the early Christian church and the persecutions in the next number of weeks, And some of the great accounts that took place in those days. I did put on in the notes some extra reading. Uh, There are two books there. Uh, We maybe don't recommend every single thing in those books. One of them we used at college. Uh, Another one is a set of five volumes. And uh, there's much information there regarding the history of the Church of Christ. And uh, thrilling accounts. I remember reading that book, Sketches from Church History. I bought it many years ago. And it was like this exciting book that you couldn't put down. I kept reading. As such were the accounts and the way in which it was written. And so there's some extra reading. If you're interested in reading more about church history, well, there's a short little book there. There's a five-volume set also mentioned that gives you many, many details. And some of what we said about the Roman Empire was taken from Nick Needham, that 2,000 years of Christ's power. He goes into the uh, philosophies of the Roman Empire in a much, much greater way uh, than I did here. And if you're interested in those things, then uh, those books can help give some more information. Uh, But let's unite together in prayer and let us seek uh, the Lord, please. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy church. thank Thee for its history. History marked by a stand for Thee, marked by zeal to preach the gospel, marked by blood also, as men died to take a stand. Father, we thank thee that we have a history such as this. We pray we would preserve that history by thy grace. We would stand for those same truths. We would not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth And Father, we think of these men of old. If they had not taken that stand for thee at the time of the Reformation, where would we be today? We thank thee for men of faith, men of God, men unashamed of the gospel. And as we consider the history of the church, we pray that thou would teach us and instruct us. Father, we do beseech thee that thou would apply these truths to our hearts. We can look at history, and it can be dry. And it could be, as it were, a lecture. But we pray that as we consider the history of thy church, it would be something that thrills our hearts, something that excites our souls, something that moves us to give thanks to thee, to rejoice in thee and to live for thee, to be thankful for all the great things that thou hast done for us. Father, we do pray for our worship services today. Bless thy word as it goes forth. Glorify thy name. Bring souls in under the sound of thy truth. And Father, may we have a blessed time worshiping thee in spirit and in truth. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen.